We're going to spend our final session talking about this beautiful thing called the parent-child relationship. Paul Harvey told a story of a five-year-old who's in the backyard brushing her dog's teeth. And when her father asked her what she was doing, she replied, Don't worry, Daddy. I'll put your toothbrush back where I found it like I always have. The joys of being a parent. Listen to me. Here's the key, guys. You are the textbook that your children are reading. You're the ch- uh, textbook, textbook that your children are reading. Now, if we're going to talk about this thing called family, unfortunately, we have to start by talking about the death of a family. When you think of nearly one million couples who divorce each year in America, it's easy to forget that these divorces actually represent the end of hopes and dreams, the end of a family. The people live on, but the family relationships are altered forever. The death of a family it works if we do it God's way. Being a good husband, a good father, a good wife, or a mother takes work. It's up to the parents to teach their children. So let's talk about teaching your children. Imagine with me this picture. You're at work, your boss comes into your office, and your boss says to you, Congratulations, you've just been promoted. And with this promotion, it means that you're stepping into a job for which you feel inadequate or unprepared for. How would you respond to your boss? Would you say, thank you, sir, but I'm not up to the task. I'd rather just decline. Or would you say, thank you, sir, I'm willing to do whatever you ask of me. I will step up to the challenge and do my very best. Well, as parents, that's exactly what God said to us when he gave us children. He said, You have been promoted to the position of parent. That means that everything that God requires of a parent is part of your new job description. At this point, you've got two choices to make. You can either say, no, thank you, God. I don't feel I'm adequate enough for the task. I'd prefer not to be a parent. Or you can say, God, thank you. I will do whatever it takes to fulfill my role as a parent, and I will trust you to walk me through the process. Congratulations, you've been promoted to the position of parent. Now, let's talk about four common types of parents. Four common types of parents. The first is a neglectful parent. That's a parent that gives low love, low discipline. This is the parent that avoids their children. Their children are more than an inconvenience to them. They would rather have somebody else take on the responsibility of taking care of their children. The neglectful parent. The second is the permissive parent. This is the high love but low discipline. This is the home where the children lead them. One of the ways that we buy into this is we are folk, all of our 
our parenting is child-centered. Meaning we want to be more of a friend than we do a parent. This means we take them to t-ball, ballet, lacrosse, football, soccer, tennis, swimming, piano, whatever it is else that they want to do. And we find that we're no longer a parent, we're just a chauffeur. Our whole life is revolved around what our children want to do. Now, those things aren't bad things. But it goes back to how we started the day. Are the things that we're involved in about the gospel of Christ, or are they about just having a busy life? The third type is an authoritarian. That's low love, high discipline. This is the parent that pushes their children. This is the general patent, the drill sergeant, the person that's continually barking at their children. If you ever have an opportunity sometime to watch the show um, Child Genius, it's a show of really smart children that are competing um, in a competition of IQ. And to watch some of the parents on that show will break your heart. They're driving these children. Or how about the authoritative? The authoritative. That's high love, high discipline. This is the parent that leads their children. This is what God calls us to. We pour love into them. We pour discipline into them. We lead them in Christ-likeness. Let me ask you, which type of parent are you? Which type of parent do you want your children to be? Are you neglectful, permissive, authoritarian, or authoritative? You heard Greg tell you not, not too long ago that the good news is, is your children will end up like you. The bad news is your children will end up like you. What type of legacy do you plan on living? How do you want to be known? Psalm 127, again, as we began, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for He grants sleep to those He loves. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. I love this picture. Our children are like an arrow in the hand of a warrior. Now there's something about an arrow that's very important. An arrow has to be straight and then the arrow they would add these feathers to the arrow. And the purpose of the feathers was to make the the arrow uh, fly straight. And God uses this picture of our children being arrows in the bow that we have and drawn back to shoot them straight. It's our choice in the way we shoot our children. So what are some goals in this thing called the parent-child relationship. What are the goals for our children? You ever thought about that? How do we create goals for our children? 
the goals that we establish for our children are the ones that will set the direction of their lives as adults. Again, are we raising our children for the next 40 years or are we raising them for the next 40 million years? How do you know how you're going or how you're doing if you don't have goals in mind? We'll go to work and we'll set all these goals to get things done, but yet we don't set goals for raising our children. We don't have an end in mind when we start. Many of us, the end is, I just want to keep them out of trouble. So what kind of goals should we have as an adult? Well, I think that the goals that we have should be the ones that God established in His Word for us. So what's the number one goal that God has for all of His children? Salvation, but as His children. So after the point of salvation, what would be the number one goal? To be like Jesus. Be holy, for I am holy. That's God's goal for you. Leviticus eleven forty four. 44, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. That's what God desires for you. And by the way, He wouldn't tell you to do anything that He wasn't making you equipped to do. Boy, we, we want to downplay this thing called be holy. Oh, now God's calling us to be holy, but obviously we can never be holy, so He doesn't really mean be holy. That's what He means, be holy. He doesn't say be kind of a little bit, kind of sort of holy, even though I know you can't really do it, because see, I'm holy. No, He says be holy, because I am holy. Leviticus 19.2 says be holy, because I, the Lord your God, Am holy. First Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16 says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Not in just some of the things, not in just on Sunday, but in all that you do, be holy. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. So how do we begin to develop holiness in our children? How do we begin to develop holiness in our children? Number one, don't miss this. Clearly define holiness as the primary goal. Your children need to know that your number one desire for them is their holiness. Not for them to be the next football star. Your desire for them is to be holy. How many of your children, for you families that have young children, how many of you have actually told your children that your desire is for them to be holy? Because that's what God's desire is. You want your children to know that the Word is the final authority. The Word is the final authority. Well, Daddy, what do you think about this? Well, let's go and see what God thinks about it. Because you know what? It really doesn't matter what Daddy thinks about it. Daddy's opinion is nothing considered c- compared to God's opinion. And by the way, God doesn't have opinions. God has facts. God speaks in truth, not opinion. We need to know that the Word is the final authority regardless of the cost. Will lining your life up with the Word of God cost you things? You bet it will. It may mean that you won't watch certain things on TV anymore. It may mean that you won't have certain friends anymore. It may mean that you won't be part of certain conversations anymore. 
It may mean that you choose different clothes. Number two, you want to evaluate activities in light of the ultimate goal, which is holiness. Evaluate activities in light of the ultimate goal. Romans 16, 19 says, I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. How many of us really evaluate what we do in light of the holiness of God? You're all familiar with the omnipresence of God. God is present everywhere. And if you're a child of God, the glory of God has chosen to dwell in you. You're the temple of the glory of God. Which means that wherever you go, you take Him with you. So when you go home tonight and you sit down as a family or as a husband and wife and you begin to watch TV... Imagine, Brother John, I invite you over to my house and I say, Brother John, I I want you to sit down and we're going to watch a movie together. Um, And and I plug that movie in and I begin to play that movie. And every other scene in that movie, they're just cussing your mama. I mean, they're letting her have it. They're calling her all kind of names. They're using her names all flippantly. Brother John, would you get up and leave my house after you punch me? Probably so. Because he's not going to stand for somebody to talk about his mama like that. But yet we'll go home and we'll watch a movie that takes our Lord's name in vain every other scene and not think twice about it. We're okay with it. Would Christ Himself be a part of our activities? So how can we, be, how can we begin to filter what we watch through the gospel. One of the ways to do this is a thing called clear play and another plugged in. Anybody familiar with clear play in here? Some of you. We have a DVD called clear play. And the way it works is you buy this DVD player and it has a memory card, a filter card that you plug into the front of it. And you can take this card and plug it into your computer and you download filters onto this card. And then you set your DVD player You set the filter level for your movie. So you watch a movie and it takes out all the Lord, where it takes the Lord's name in vain, it takes it out. It takes any imitative behavior out. It takes nudity out. It takes deflaming the flag out. So where you don't have to watch any of this. So that you can sit down as a family and you can watch things and it takes all the bad stuff out. Now you've got to be careful. That means that, that um, you come to church one day and your children are, are telling everybody that y'all watched Braveheart together as a family. They need to know that you watched it on clear play, which means you watched about 30 seconds of a movie. <laughs> because you took all the violence out, right? Or plugged in. Anybody familiar with plugged in? Plugged in is, is something by Focus on the Family where you can go online and you can review a movie before you watch it. The policy on our team is the policy is PG movie only, PG 13 movie under certain circumstances. But if you're going to come to us as leadership and you're going to ask permission to watch a, a PG 13 movie, you have, you have to already have view, looked at 
the plugged-in reviews. Now, what the plugged-in reviews will do, it'll tell you every bad word in it. It'll tell you any sexual behavior in it. It'll tell you if there's any smoking, any drinking, um, any imitative behavior, which means behavior that you'll want to imitate later. Okay? We, by the way, junk in, junk out. Don't lie to yourself and say, no, I can filter it. No, you won't. You ever, you ever get a song stuck in your head? And you just, you just find yourself singing it, and you're like, where'd that come from? Well, maybe it was playing in Coles when we were there 30 minutes ago. I didn't even realize it was playing. Junk in, junk out. I'm not saying the song was junk. It's just to, to, to prove the point. Probably was junk, but nonetheless. All right. Number three, how about promote new heroes? Promote new heroes. Like with our iPod or our laptop or Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook. By the way, that's where your children are getting their heroes. Do you realize, guys, we are developing socially awkward children? You know how we're doing it? Like this. You go up to somebody that has a small child that does this and speak to that child and see what happens. They'll ignore you. We're, cre- we're doing it. We're creating so- socially inadequate children. How about the things we watch and the things we listen to? Because, see, guys, the things we watch and the things we listen to direct what we look up to. How about the books that we read? How about the folks we hang out with? Your children may be in a relationship right now that they need to exit stage right. Now, in that PowerPoint, I had the lady leaving. Sometimes the guy needs to leave. Are you bringing them to church? But careful. Just because you've been brought up in church doesn't mean that you know Jesus. What if we began to promote new heroes of the faith? What if our children were reading books, biographies by Billy Graham or David Livingston or Jim Elliott? What if that's the books they were reading? Or today, what if they were reading books like Radical and Crazy Love and Forgotten God, books that, are, that take our focus off of the here and now and focus it on eternity? Destiny, legacy books. What if that's what our children were reading? Some time ago, we were at a church and I get home at the end of one of my sessions. and One of my daughters said, Papa, I need to talk to you and Mommy. I said, okay, baby. And she sat us down and she said, I need to seek your forgiveness because 
at night I've been watching things on my Kindle that have defiled me. And as a result of that, it has affected the way that I communicate with you and mommy. I've been very disrespectful to you. I've been disobedient. And I realize it's because I've defiled myself at night by watching things on my Kindle. And so I need to seek your forgiveness. And I said, baby, you're forgiven. But, you know, you have to share with daddy what you've been watching. She said, yes, sir. I I know that. Listen to me carefully. She says, Papa, at night, when I get home, I've been watching Disney at night. And she says, Daddy, the way that these children communicate with their parents is very disrespectful and very dishonoring. They talk back to them. They sass them. And she says, I realized that I defiled myself. And now what I put in is coming out. Now, Part of me as a papa went, thank you, Jesus. Why did my child make that decision? Because she understood that our ultimate goal was her holiness. And those things were making her unholy. Now, what did I do? I said, baby, you know that you're forgiven, but with every sin comes consequences. She said, yes, sir, here you go. And she handed me her Kindle, and we took it away. You want to make sure that you're establishing a pattern of decision-making in your home that includes seeking the will of God. One of the ways that we do this in our home is what we call fashion show now, dating later. Now, what am I meaning by that? We've been teaching our children from the time they were two about this thing called modesty. And the reason we've been teaching them modesty is because we want them to guard their heart. We've been talking to them about their purity, and our explanation to them is their purity is not so much about what they do with their physical body. That's just a a product of holding their heart pure. And so we've explained to our children that it is impossible for them to date someone without giving their heart away. God created them to begin to, when, when they are in a relationship with somebody to give their heart away. And God gave them their heart to be under the authority of and protection of, first of all, their mommy and daddy, and then eventually their mommy and daddy will give it to someone else, especially if they're my girls, and then their heart will belong to him. And so if you date, you're going to give your heart away when it was only intended for two people. Your mommy and daddy is one, and your future spouse. And so in teaching them this beautiful picture of guarding their purity, we've talked about modesty. You ever notice a two-year-old, two-year-old, one of their favorite things to do is pull their shirt up? So we started at that age, beginning to teach them that that wasn't modest to keep their shirt down because that was part of their body that was intended for them only and for no one else to see. By the way, if you start trying to teach them at 13, you're too late. So we began to teach them this, and so we want to make sure that everything that they wear is modest. Now, I trust my wife 
in her buying the, the clothes for our children. I trust her completely. Anything that she buys, I can pretty much write off as good. But we have a rule in our house when there's new clothes belong, that our children have, they have to do a fashion show. They have to walk through the, they have to put it on, walk through the room for daddy to see it. Why in the world would I do that? There's two reasons. Number one, I want them to know that I value their modesty. And then number two, it gives me an opportunity to say to them, you are gorgeous. You look beautiful in that. What I'm communicating to them is even with my body completely covered, I'm beautiful. Meaning I don't have to show my cleavage or my hind end to be beautiful. And so, we want our children to know that modesty is a beautiful thing. And what it does is it involves me in the dating process down the road. And my children realize that they've made a decision when they get to a certain age, we go through a ceremony to where they're making a conscious decision on their own to give me their heart. And I make it a, I'm, I'm, I'm entering into a covenant with them to guard their heart. Which means when it comes time for them to give their heart, they come to me and we make that decision together. And then I give their heart to another man or another lady one day. Why in the world would I do that? Because I believe that's the way God intended it. Next thing, verbalize often your desires for your children. You want to do this in their presence. Let them know that you commend them when they're living toward this life of holiness. We'll also make sure that we're monitoring closely our friendships. This means, especially in the area of sleepovers, don't just assume because you go to church with somebody that you should be able to let your children go spend the night with them. Oh, no. By the way, uh, the sleepover is when they have their first drink, their first cigarette, their first all-nighter. Typically in the context of a sleepover. We fight this battle over and over and over again. We go to a lot of different churches, and my, my children are wonderful at making close friends in a hurry. And inevitably, we'll have them come to us and say, listen, can, can I go, they're asking me to go spend the night at their house. Can I do that, Daddy? Or can I, can I invite them over to spend the night with us in the trailer? And my, my answer is always the same. As horrible as it is for me to do it, I have to say no. Baby, they don't know us, and I don't know them. But daddy, they're Christians, they go to church. I understand that, baby, but you're just going to have to trust daddy right now. We can't do this. You want to make sure that you're aiding your children in seeking God daily. Help them establish a time and a set place for quiet time with the Lord. One way you can do this is family devotions. Man, you need to make sure that you're leading your family in this thing called devotions. How about personal devotions? You need to make sure that you're having personal devotions with your, in your life so that they see it. 
You want to make sure that you're modeling it in your own life. It's more caught than it is taught. So let's talk about some ingredients for effectively raising your children. Five particular ingredients. Number one, instruction. Number one, instruction. Instruction, proper discipline begins with instructions. Parents should teach their children their, what they expect of them. One of the ways we do this is, is going to the store. Like I said, we're going to go to the grocery store. We let our children know what we expect of them before we get in there. Because if they don't know what to expect, they don't know how to act. Now, you've got to be careful here. You can't, you can't use, with a five-year-old, you can't tell them in a negative sense what you expect. Meaning, now, when we go in there, do not touch anything on the aisle. Don't, don't climb in and out of the buggy. Don't pinch your sister. Because if you tell our four- or five-year-old that, guess what they're thinking when they get in there? Touching everything on the aisle, getting in and out of the buggy, pinching their sister. That's what's going to come out. So you've got to make sure that you do it in, in a positive way what you're expecting. Be sure that the values that, that you teach your children are biblically based and not founded on your own personal opinion. Always take your child back to the Word of God, which means you have to know the Word of God. Reinforcement is the second key ingredient. This is going to be really important with smaller children. You've got to remind them over and over and over again. And I would challenge you, if you have small children, get down on their level. Get down on one knee and look them in the eye. Can I tell you, that'll be one of the most difficult things you ever do in parenting, is get your child to look you in the eye. Why? Because they're children of wrath. They're children of the devil. I'm sorry to tell you that, but they are, according to Ephesians chapter 2. They're not God's children. Not until they're saved. They're children of the devil. And so they have this rebellion inside of them. They're born into sin. And so they don't want you to break their will. So they don't want to look in your eye. I have to say it over and over and over and over again to Joshua. Joshua, look me in the eye, son. Joshua, look me in the eye, son. He doesn't want to because he doesn't want to give up control. How about correction? The ultimate goal of discipline, listen to me, is not punishment, it's correction. And the purpose of correction is to get to the issue of the heart, not the action. Your goal should always to be, a, to be, your goal should always be to address the heart. You want to make them, you want to take them back to the heart attitude using God's word, which we'll talk about here in just a little bit. Lack of proper discipline will result in an irresponsible attitude in the heart of a child. And the child will begin to feel that they have the freedom to do whatever it is that they want to do. Look on your table. There should be a piece of paper that says the 21 rules of this house. This is a great way to give your child expectations. This helps them know what you expect in the home. Grandparents, you can really use to reinforce this. I would challenge you to ask your children what the house rules are for them. What do you expect your children to do? Now listen to me, grandparents. They may not be exactly what you want to do. But you're joining them now in raising these children, so I would encourage you to submit to their house rules as long as they line up with the Word of God. And help encourage them in this area. How about reassurance? 
reassurance. Never hesitate to express your love and concern for a disobedient child. I have to do this often, especially again with Joshua. Joshua is the, is the main one that gets most of the discipline right now in our home. He's the youngest. And uh, every time that I discipline him, I have to say to him, Son, Daddy's doing this because, you, because I love you. And because I love you, I'm trying to bring you back up under the protection of God. That's my responsibility. And his, res- his response is always the same to me. No, Daddy, you, you spank me because you don't love me. It hurts when you spank me. And I said, I know it hurts, baby. Consequences to sin are always painful. And you've sinned, so the consequence is pain. Because if we don't go through painful things, we'll never see the love of God. And it's my job to show you how much God loves you. Does he get it right now? No. But one day, he will. How about restitution? It's always best to establish a means of restitution to right the wrong that has been done. The children have to know that they have to make restitution for their action. They take somebody's toy, they buy them a new one. They break something, they pay for it. Shame on us parents for bailing our children out and for letting them off the hook. Let's talk about this thing called biblical discipline. Biblical discipline. What is God's word on discipline? Proverbs 13, 24, He who spares the rod hates his son. By the way, I'm just the messenger. I didn't say that. But he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Proverbs 19, 18, Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. You don't discipline him, you're being a willing party to his death. I didn't say that. Proverbs 22, 15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. They're sinners. I'll give it to you. They're cute little sinners, but they're sinners. Proverbs 23, 13, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Verse 17, discipline your son and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. The rod here that's used in these verses represents the consequences of disobedience. Now the consequences will change as ages change. The form of discipline that we chose to use with our younger children, which was spanking, does not necessarily work with our older children. It doesn't seem to be as beneficial. Rather, what happens better for our older children is losing some privilege or some gift or some toy. Remember, discipline should be viewed as a formula, should not be viewed as a formula, but rather as part of a relationship between a parent and a child. Discipline should always be an act of love. And remember, just like the material that you've learned in these last several days is not an event, it's a process. Parenting and disciplining your children is not an event, it's a process. So let's talk about when and how to use this thing called discipline. 
Number one, 80% of rod chastisement should be done in the first five years of their life. You do it right the first five years and you probably won't ever have to spank them again. Use the rod for rebellious acts and attitudes. Discipline should be done in private. Because your goal is not to shame them. And you want to be careful so that your good is not spoken of as evil. The rod or any other discipline needs to inflict pain, but not injury. You want to be careful not to simply get the child upset at you. We want to break the will of the child, not the spirit of the child. They need to know that disobedience brings conflict and obedience brings blessing. By the way, that's what they've been learning in their clubs in these days. You want to make sure that you don't discipline them for childishness. Imagine Joshua comes in here and he begins to run around this this gym like a crazy kid, which he would probably do if we let him in here. Just running around crazy. We've learned something very interesting about him. When he's at home, in our home or with around just his, his sisters, he's the quietest, calmest child. He'll be up in his room for hours playing and we won't hear him. But when he gets around the team, or he gets around a crowd like this, he turns into a wild man. He feeds off of crowds. It took us so long to learn that. He feeds off of crowds. So we put him in this room, he'd start running like a crazy kid, right? Should I discipline him? No, because he's being a child. Should I correct him? Yes, I should get down on his level, and I should say, son, stop running around the gym. Now, let's say after that correction, he runs again. That's rebellion. I laid out the expectations. He disobeyed. That's rebellion. That gets discipline. We also want to be very specific when we discipline them. And we'll talk about that here in just a moment. Don't discipline for accidents. You don't spank your children for spilled milk. You don't discipline them for inability. You never, ever, ever, ever discipline when you're angry. Well, that just eliminated 85% of your discipline, didn't it? Why in the world do we discipline them um, when we're angry? Or why do you, you ever thought about why you get angry at your children? I can let you know. You get angry at your children because they violated your claustrophobic little world population one. You're not angry at them because they violated the kingdom of God and His holiness. You're angry at them because they violated you. Boy, that's not fun, is it? (laughs) And you never discipline them when you're unsure of their guilt. If you don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're guilty, you cannot discipline them. Because one day you may be wrong. 
they were innocent and you disciplined them for it. Anybody remember being disciplined for something they didn't do? It never leaves your mind. Let's continue talking about biblical discipline. The purpose for physical discipline as identified in Proverbs is to remove foolishness and impart wisdom. The ultimate purpose for discipline in Proverbs is to deliver the child's soul from hell. That's your goal. So if that's our goal, then our discipline should be filtered by the gospel, right? Our our discipline should be a mirror of the gospel. Let's talk about the two primary purposes of discipline. Number one, to bring them to Christ. To bring them to Christ. And number two, to conform them to Christ. Bring them to Christ, to conform them to Christ. What are the two greatest keys in successful discipline? Number one, time. Number two, consistency. Both of them are hard. Both of them are hard. So let's talk about some actions we want to avoid in discipline. And guys, we're getting ready to fly, okay? You probably won't have time to take this all down. I will make it up to you, I promise. All right. You want to avoid degrading statements. That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen anybody do. Avoid unnecessary delay and discipline. Here's the, here's the key way we do that as parents. You ready for this? One, two. Have you ever seen your child be obedient on one? No, because they know you're not going to do anything until you get to three. And when you get to three, most of the time you're not going to do it then. When you get to three, you're going to say, if I have to count one more time. We're setting them up for failure. And then what happens is when we get to three, we're ticked off. And then we discipline them out of anger. (laughs) Sometimes, guys, we're just messed up in the head. We do it wrong. You want to avoid making threats that you do not tend to carry out. If If I have to say this one more time, I'm going to spank you. You know what they're thinking? Yeah, right. You did in the last four times you said that. Avoid anger and discipline, which means you can't do the one, two, three because you're angry by the time you get to three. Avoid wounding the spirit of the child. These are the harsh words. You little idiot. That was stupid. Avoid improper discipline. We never pull, we never snatch. We never pinch. Listen to me carefully. There's a word for those. It's called abuse. If you ever take your child by the arm and you grab them up by the arm and you walk them into another room, you got to be honest, you're doing it out of anger. You're not doing it out of love. God would never grab you by your arm, snatch you up into a different room. Guys, can I tell you, I'm just as guilty as you. Avoid leaving the discipline to one one parent only. I understand some of you are in single-parent homes. Again, these rules, some of them we just have to adapt and do the best we can. 
But if there's a two-parent home, there can't be always one parent that's doing all the discipline. You have to avoid using the spiritual focus as a form of discipline. What do I mean by that? You go to your room and read the Bible. Don't ever use God's Word as a form of discipline. You better go in there and do your quiet time, you little heathen. So what are some reasons for ineffective discipline? Number one, you're not like-minded. Meaning, she allows him to jump on the bed, but he doesn't. Or you have a different idea of proper discipline. You need to make sure that you're on the same page in this area of discipline. If not, I'll tell you what will happen. They'll play the two of you against each other. They will manipulate you. You can't be inconsistent in administering discipline. Meaning one day you allow them to do it, the next day you don't. You'll confuse the fire out of them. How about lack of clear boundaries? That means that you set rules in your home, but you don't really go by them. Like bedtime is 8 o'clock, but really you never make them go to bed at 8. Now I understand, sometimes you give them grace. By the way, if we extend a rule, we explain to them what we're doing is showing them grace. We understand your bedtime's at 8, but we're going to do 8.30 tonight as a form of grace. Because we serve a gracious God. And God pours grace into us. How about you're not specific when you're correcting them? Again, imagine Joshua's running around this room like a crazy kid. And I say to him, stop doing that, Joshua. Well, stop doing what? Stop running around the room and stop punching people when I run by. I mean, which one do you want me to do? I'm doing both. And then they do it again and we get mad at them. Well, they didn't really know that you meant for them to stop that. Remember, they're children. (laughs) The biggest problem we have as adults is we expect them to be little adults. I'm guilty. How about hypocrisy of our example? Do as I say, not as I do. There's shows on TV that that, that I like. um, Intense, investigative, figure-it-out type shows, you know, like CSI or or those kind of shows. But I don't want to let my children watch them. One day one of my children asked the question of great wisdom. I wanted to slap them. They said, Daddy, why is it okay for you to watch it if it's not okay for us to watch it? And my response was, go to your room. Let's talk about nine steps of discipline as we wrap it up. Remember, our discipline should be a reflection of the gospel. So if I'm going to live out the gospel in this area of discipline, what would it look like? Number one, send them to their room. Deal with them separately. Deal with them as an individual. When God deals with you in your sinfulness, He speaks directly to your heart. Give them time to process what they've done. And while they're in their room, you use that opportunity 
to cool off. And allow the Holy Spirit to work on their conscience. And allow the Holy Spirit to work on your conscience. So that you don't do this in anger. Meaning you don't do this for the purpose of your own glory. You're doing it for the purpose of God's glory. Why? Because your discipline is a part of the gospel. Number three, question them. What did I see you do? Why was that wrong? When we question them, we're appealing to their conscience. We're getting to the motivation of their heart. Why is that so important? Because we shouldn't be disciplining them for their action. We should be disciplining them for the motivation of their heart. Let me explain. I have two children. Billy's here. Susie's here. Billy and Susie are fighting over the toy. Susie comes to me and says, Daddy, Billy won't let me play with his toy. Typical parent response, well, which one of you had the toy first? Well, Billy had it first. Well, then Susie, when Billy let Billy play with it, when Billy gets done, you let Susie play with it. Does that make sense? Okay, good. Proud parent. I did such a good job. I just missed the gospel. What if the discipline looked like this? Billy, who are you thinking of right now? Myself. You're exactly right, Billy. What does the Bible say about that? Well, the Bible teaches us that we should think of others first. You're exactly right, Billy. Is that what you're doing? No, sir. Susie, who are you thinking of right now? Myself. You're exactly right, baby. What does the Bible say about that? The Bible says to think of others first. You're exactly right, Susie. Are you thinking of others or thinking of yourself? No, I'm thinking of myself. Understanding that both of you are thinking about yourselves, work this out. I just took them through the gospel. I took them to the heart and not the action. The action is just a product of the heart. God's not convicting you for your action. God's convicting for your heart. You're in a worship war. You're either worshiping yourself or you're worshiping Him. You're in a trust war. You're either trusting yourself or you're trusting Him. You're in a glory war. You're either glorifying yourself or you're glorifying Him. Taking them back to the heart. When they're lying, is lying the problem? No, the motivation of their heart is the problem. They're thinking of themselves. You take them, you ask them the question, what are you doing? I'm lying. What does the Bible say about lying? The Bible says that lying is an abomination to God. He hates it. You're exactly right, baby. And then you want to make sure that you reinforce the biblical principle that was broken. What does God say? That's the put off, put on. There's a great book by Ted Trupp called Shepherding a Child's Heart. And Ted takes you through the practical application of this, how to do this. Well, Ted's book is very textbook. Well, there's a lady by the name of Ginger Plowman. Now she's married, so it's a different last name. I can't remember, but we have it over there called Wise Words for Moms. And what she does is she takes you, she has a calendar-looking thing, and it'll have the sin over here, the question that you should ask, the biblical principle that you should reinforce. So this is what you should put off. This is what you should put on. And it helps you take your child through that discipline model. Number five, you want to discipline until the will is won over. 
If you haven't broken their will, you're not done. Number seven, or number six, you want to allow time for brokenness. That means that you stay with them and you hold them. You allow time for brokenness. You express and reaffirm your love. You ever noticed when you discipline a child, what's the first thing they do? Why do they do that? They want the relationship to be restored. The mistake that we make as parents is we discipline them and then we say, no, go to your room and think about it. The only thing they want is restoration. When Jesus or when, when God convicts you through the Holy Spirit of your sin, what's the first thing that you want once you're broken? Restoration. And what you're doing is you're doing this to God. And God in His sovereign grace and love reaches down and picks you up and restores you. That's what your child wants. Meaning when you go to your room, in, in our house it was our laundry room, that was the discipline room. When we would go in there and I'd go through the, the, this, the levels of discipline and I would discipline them. When we left the room it was smile and laughter because it was over. We didn't think about it anymore. Now some of you are thinking, well that didn't work because now they're laughing and cutting up. No, it worked because there was restoration. We went through the full cycle of the gospel. Number eight, pray with them. Have them ask for the Lord's forgiveness. The gospel. And then number nine, require restitution and asking forgiveness from the person they wronged. Many times our actions are not only a violation of our vertical relationship with God, but they're a violation of our horizontal relationships. Listen to me closely, parents. You can't teach this to your children if there's somebody right now that you're unwilling to seek forgiveness from or to give forgiveness to. Don't be a hypocrite. If you're, not in, in, if you're not desiring full restoration with those in your horizontal relationship, don't expect it of your children. It's more caught than it is taught. It's not about the issue of what you deserve. It's about living your life to impact the kingdom of God. It's about living our lives for the glory of the Lord and that alone. One life. One God. One glory. You know, as we live that kind of life, many times we give our resources, we give our time, we give our talents to things that add value to us. What if we began to give our time, our talent, our treasures to things that just might add value to others? I want to encourage you, if you would like to add value to others, one of the great ways you can do that is 
given an offering so that somebody can experience this at the next church. One life, one God, one glory.